Well, hey everyone, uh, welcome back to our study of Zechariah. And, you know, we're going to be continuing this study online for the time being. And uh, I, just, I just think that it's, it's really a blessing that we have this aid of technology in a time like this. You know, in previous generations of the church, when plagues would happen and services would have to be canceled, like what Calvin had to deal with in Geneva at one time, they didn't have cell phones and the internet and all these, these amazing technologies that we have to be able to continue uh, the teaching of the Word of God and the hearing of the Word of God. So I appreciate that you've tuned into this, you've figured out how to do it, and you're now listening to the first online edition of Zechariah. Just a couple things to note before we begin. Firstly, our Sunday school sessions are normally about 40 to 45 minutes when we meet in person. But uh, for the sake of doing this online, I've reduced it to more like 20 or 25 minutes. I'll try to keep the sessions uh, under that time limit just because it can be a, 45 minutes can be a long time when you are just simply listening to a recording. So the lessons are going to be a little bit shorter, and I hope that that will be beneficial for you as you listen to these uh, in your home or in your car, wherever you are at the time. All right, well, without further ado, let's get into Zechariah again. We last left off at the end of chapter 2, so if you got your Bible with you, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 of Zechariah 3, and I absolutely love this part of Zechariah. It's probably my favorite part of the whole book of Zechariah. So again, looking at Zechariah chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5, and I'll read that for us here as we begin. Starting at verse 1. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh. And Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh spoke to Satan, Let Yahweh rebuke you, O Satan, and let Yahweh the one who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments, and he was standing before the angel. And the angel answered and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from upon him. And he said to him, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and clothed you with white robes. And I said, Let them place a pure turban upon his head. And they placed the pure turban upon his head, and they clothed him with clothes, while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. This is God's word. Let's uh, just open in a brief word of prayer before we get into the lesson. Lord Jesus, we thank you that even in the midst of, of turmoil in this nation and in this world, Lord, with this virus out and about, Lord, we, we thank you that you are sovereign, and we thank you that you have power over this. We pray that you would protect us, and that you would help us to be edified by your word, even as we use technology to hear it this morning. Lord, pray that you would accomplish what you want to do through the power of your holy scriptures. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are covering verses 1 through 5 this morning, which I just read this is, as I said before, this is my, I think, my favorite passage in Zechariah, all right? And it might be my favorite passage simply because I'm Reformed. That's definitely a possibility. 
But I just think that, that these verses are such a clear demonstration and presentation of the gospel in such a profound and sort of uh, fantastical kind of way. You've got these, this imagery of a priest being clothed in garments and Satan accusing and all these kinds of things. And what we're going to see is that this is a fantastic presentation of not just the gospel, but a particular part of the gospel, namely of justification, that great doctrine that was recovered and explained so faithfully during the 16th century Protestant Reformation. And so let's get into the text here because there's so much good stuff here. Firstly, we have sin and the accuser. All right, let's look at verse one together here as you've got your Bible open. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, who was standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan was standing at his right hand to accuse him. There's a lot of things to note here in this first verse. Firstly, you notice that Zechariah in this vision, right? This is the, I think this is the, the fourth or the fifth vision. I can't, I'm losing track of the number here. But you remember, in the context of Zechariah, right, we've been looking at the eight night visions of the Zechariah's prophecy. And we saw the, the first vision with the horses and then the vision uh, last week with the horns and the, all those visions. And there's so much teaching there. And now we're at a vision here where Zechariah is seeing Joshua the high priest. Joshua the high priest. Now, when we think of Joshua, we normally think of the Joshua uh, from earlier in the Old Testament, the one who led the Israelites into the land of Canaan. Just so you know, this is not the same Joshua. Uh, the Joshua that's being referred to here is actually from Ezra chapter 3, verse 2. And you can look that up later if you want to. Ezra chapter 3. And that Joshua is the high priest during the post-exilic community. Okay, so that's this is the high priest during the time of Zechariah, after the people of Israel have come back from the Babylonian exile. So don't get this Joshua confused with the Joshua that we normally think of. Anyway, Joshua the high priest is standing before the angel of Yahweh, and Satan is there. This phrase that we see in the text, standing before, uh, notes a couple of things. It could note uh, just standing in the presence of God, which it often does. But the phrase has particular reference to a judicial courtroom. So when you imagine this vision, if you want to really understand what the, the Hebrew is sort of um, implying here, you want to think of this as a courtroom. Uh, the high priest Joshua is standing in a courtroom, and the angel of Yahweh is there, and Satan is there. And what's Satan doing? He is accusing Joshua the high priest. He's accusing him. And what's actually kind of funny is if you look at the Hebrew, uh, the word for Satan that is the used there is the word shatan. So you can see how we get our English word Satan from shatan. It's the same, the same word transliterated. But what's fantastic is that at the very end of verse 1, when it says that Satan is accusing Joshua, the verb for accusing in Hebrew is the same word as the word Satan. So literally it says, and Satan was Sataning him, or the accuser was accusing him. So it's a fantastic portrait of who Satan is, right? He is the accuser. He is the one who accuses people of their sin. And honestly, when Satan accuses us of sin, quite frankly, he has usually got the truth on his side. Right? He usually doesn't have to dig too far to accuse people of sin. 
And that's what Satan is doing. And you'll see in verse 3 that the reason he's doing this is obvious. Joshua is clothed in filthy garments. He is worthy of the accusations that Satan is bringing before him. He is worthy of all of the accusing that Satan is doing because it's obvious to everyone in this courtroom vision that Zechariah is seeing that Joshua is covered in the filth of sin. And we'll talk more about that in verse 3. But now look at verse 2. This is the angel's response, or really Yahweh's response. Could be either, actually. But look at verse 2. And Yahweh said to Satan, Let Yahweh rebuke you, O Satan, and let Yahweh, who chose Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? So notice God's response to Satan's accusations. Satan is bringing a charge against the high priest. Now, notice also something here that the high priest is symbolic of all of Israel, all of God's people, because the high priest represents all of God's people in the temple when he's offering sacrifices, and especially on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would offer sacrifices for the all of Israel once a year by sprinkling blood on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in a sacrifice. So the high priest here is representative of all of God's people, all of his elect, if you will. And so what God does as he responds to Satan's accusations is he says, Satan, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. You have nothing to say here. You will not bring a charge against my elect. And why is that? Because Yahweh, you see in the second part of verse 2, has chosen Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a brand plucked from the fire. Now you remember our discussions in previous weeks. In Zechariah, Jerusalem is much more than simply the physical city of Jerusalem. In Zechariah, Jerusalem is God's people. It is the spiritual city, or what we would call the church. God's elect, God's chosen people, the ones who truly believe in him and trust in the Messiah. That's Jerusalem. And so what does God say when he says, Satan, you shut your mouth. You cannot bring a charge against my elect. The reason is because I have chosen them. I have plucked them like a brand out of the fire. I have pulled them out of the damnation that they deserve, and I have done something for them. I've done something to fix the situation that they were in as they find themselves covered in the excrement of sin. Satan, you shut your mouth. I have chosen Jerusalem. I have set the boundaries for my spiritual city. You will not bring a charge against them. What a comforting response that is for us as God's people. To know that when Satan comes and accuses us of sin and says, you're not good enough here. You've sinned here. You've messed up here. God won't forgive you. God won't love you because of this. No, as believers, we can say, Satan, let Yahweh rebuke you. We have been chosen. And God has done something for us to fix the situation that we are in. And it's in verses, the rest of the verses here, verses 3, 4, and 5, that we see what it is that Yahweh has done for us to save us from the situation that Satan has placed us in by accusing us of sin. And Satan's right. 
right? He, we already talked about that. Satan's right. We really are covered in sin. We are covered in the filth of sin. Our clothes are dirty in the courtroom of God. Everyone can see that we are sinners. We can see that we are sinners. We don't need even Satan to tell us that. But God has done something for us. Let's look at this. Verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments, standing before the angel. That's his sin. It's right there for all to see. And here's what God does. Verse 4. And the angel answered and said to those standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from upon him. Remove the filthy garments from upon him. And he said to Joshua, See, I have removed your iniquity from you and clothed you with white robes. Let that sink in for a second. Let that sink in. I have removed your iniquity from you. I've removed the filthy sin that has been covering you and making you guilty in my courtroom. I have removed the sin that the prosecuting attorney has been pointing to. And I've given you robes of righteousness. In the Reformation, one of the great, unbelievably biblical, amazing teachings resurfaced in the church, and that was a pure doctrine of justification. A pure biblical doctrine of justification. And within the doctrine of justification, theologians will talk about a concept that we call double imputation. Maybe you've heard of that term before, I don't know. But I'll introduce it to you here. Theologians, biblical sound theologians, talk about the doctrine of double imputation. And what that doctrine means is it means two things. First of all, it means the imputation of our sin to the person of Christ. Now, the word imputation there is just just a fancy word that just means the transfer. So we have our sin transferred to Christ. That's the first imputation. As believers, our sin is transferred into Christ's spiritual account, and he pays for that sin in full in his sacrificial death on the cross. And we understand that part of double or that part of, of imputation. We understand that part of justification, right? That's what we talk about all the time. Jesus paid our debt. He paid our debt of sin. He took our sin upon himself. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We understand that. We talk about that all the time in the evangelical world. But there's a second part of justification, a second part of this imputational work that we sometimes forget, and it's actually something that I didn't even learn about or even hear about at all until I was 18 years old. And I'd been studying theology prior to that, but I'd, I'd never heard this before. And it is so biblical. If Jesus takes the punishment for our sin, that is essential and necessary for our justification. It's essential and necessary for our salvation. Our sin must be dealt with. Our sin must be punished. Absolutely. Jesus did that. 
But here's the thing. If all that Jesus did was pay for our sin, then that just brings our spiritual bank account from being in a huge mortgage to being zero. Whereas before, and when I was a sinner, before Jesus paid for all my sin debt, I was in a negative balance. Now Jesus pays for it on the cross. Now I'm in a zero debt balance. But here's the thing. If I am at a zero balance, that does not mean I can get into heaven. That does not mean that I am holy. No, under God's standards, I not only have to be at a zero balance in my debt or in my spiritual bank account, but I have to be in the positive. And in fact, not only do I have to be in the positive, not only do I have to have a thousand spiritual points in my spiritual bank account, but I have to have an infinite amount of spiritual righteousness in my spiritual account in order to be considered righteous before God. And that is where the second imputation comes in. Remember, the first imputation is the transfer of our sin to Christ. Now the second imputation comes in, and we see it displayed here in the text. The second imputation is the righteousness of Christ to our account. That is, that Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life that we were supposed to, and he did all of the good works that we were supposed to. And what happens in justification is not only does he get our sin, but we get his righteousness. We get his white, pure robes that cover us so that when the Father looks at us at the judgment, he says, I see the righteous robes of my Son, and I declare you just in my eyes for his sake. You see, there's a real sense in which, folks, we are saved by works. The difference, an important difference, is this. We are saved by works, but we're not saved by our works. We are saved by the works of Christ. We are saved by the double imputation that we find taught in Scripture where our sin is transferred to Christ and Christ's righteousness is transferred to us. And that beautiful, beautiful doctrine of the gospel is proclaimed in our passage here in Zechariah. Look at uh, second half of verse 4. See, this is the angel speaking, See, I have removed your iniquity from you. I have transferred that sin to someone else. And I have clothed you with white robes. That is double imputation, ladies and gentlemen. That is the gospel of Christ. Now notice something here. Notice something else. That the angel is saying these things. The angel of Yahweh is saying, I have removed your iniquity from you. The angel says, Yahweh doesn't say this. The angel says it. In other words, the angel is removing sin from Joshua, the high priest. Now, since when do normal angels have the ability, have the power to remove sin from people? No, angels never have that power. 
Only Yahweh himself has the power. You remember when Jesus was on earth and he forgives sins. And the Pharisees were like, hey, you can't forgive sins. No one can forgive sins except God. And Jesus was like, yep, great job. Way to hit the nail on the head. Right? And that's where Jesus shows his deity. That Jesus is God. Only God can forgive sins. And I think it's here where we see that the angel of Yahweh shows his deity. This is where, you know, these last several uh, sessions that we've had in Zechariah, I've tried to make the case that the angel of Yahweh or the angel of the Lord showing up in Zechariah is Jesus Christ. And I think here we see it abundantly clearly because it's only God himself who can forgive sins. And we see here the angel of the Lord forgiving sin and removing iniquity from the high priest and clothing him with righteousness. Folks, this is only the work of Christ. Christ has done this. And so we can see Zechariah is a profoundly Christological book. And we're going to see that even more next week because there's a bunch of prophecies about Jesus that we'll look at in our next session. But here we see Jesus forgiving sin. And now look at the result of this, verse 5. And I said, let them put a pure turban upon his head. And they put the pure turban upon his head and they clothed him while the angel of Yahweh was standing by. This can be, for those of us in the 21st century, a little bit like, what's going on here? What's a turban? Why, does, why is that being added to this situation? Well, here's the deal. If you go back and you read Exodus, I believe it's Exodus 28, if I'm not mistaken. In Exodus 28, we read about God giving the instructions to Moses on what priests were supposed to wear. That is the priestly garments. They were supposed to wear a chest piece, an ephod with, with shoulder pieces. They had a blue uh, robe that they'd wear and a sash around their waist and all of these special clothing items that they would wear. And one of the special items that the priest would wear is an ephod, which is a certain kind of hat. And here's what's fantastic is in Exodus 28, we are told that on the ephod, that is on the, the or excuse me, not the ephod, on the turban, the turban that they would wear, the hat, a gold plate would be fastened to that hat. And on the gold plate, it would say, holy to Yahweh, holy to the Lord. And the priests were especially considered holy to God. And they would walk around with these big hats with a gold plate on the front of the hat that said, holy to Yahweh, because they represent the people and the priests had to be especially holy in order to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people of Israel. Now what's going on here? The angel of Yahweh has removed the sinful garments from the priest. He has placed upon him white robes of pure righteousness and then after this places upon his head the turban which says holy to Yahweh. Folks, how is it that human beings who are in a sinful, depraved state become holy to God? It is by the double imputation of our sin to Christ and his righteousness to us. And it is only on that basis can we be justified before God? 
can we be declared righteous and holy in his sight by the placing of this turban upon the head of Joshua. What the angel of Yahweh is saying is that Joshua is now considered holy and he can now enter into fellowship with Almighty God. That's the significance of the turban. And ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly what happens in the gospel. That is the whole point of the gospel, to render a sinful people holy to the Lord. That is the work of grace. That is the work of redemption. That is the work of Christ. Folks, that is what we need each and every day. We need that grace of God. We need that gospel. We need to hold fast to Christ. And you know what? It is it is in our recognition and in our belief and our trust in Christ Jesus, in his gospel, in his imputation of, of sin and righteousness. It is in that that we hope, right? We don't hope in this physical world. We see that in this present day more than ever, perhaps for many of our lives. We can't trust in our health because there's a virus at play. We can't trust in our jobs because those might be canceled at any moment. We can't trust in anything this world has to offer. We won't find our security there. We won't find our happiness there. We won't find our purpose there. Now, we need to trust not in this world, but in the God who made this world. We need to trust our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and trust in him only. And folks, as we finish up here, be reminded and be comforted today that whatever happens, know that if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you assuredly and with 100% guarantee have had your sins removed from you and a righteous robe has been wrapped around you and you are declared just and holy to the Lord. And you have nothing to fear. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we pray that you would work this great truth into our hearts. Help us not to fear what's out there in this world today. Help us not to put our trust in this world. Help us to put our trust in you. Help us to trust your word And Lord, we thank you for the gracious work of your gospel that you have done for us. Lord, comfort us today. Comfort us today in this world of of craziness that we live in right now. Help us to trust you and help us never to fear what your providence brings about. In the holy and precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.